A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, so I forgot to say my own name. That's good, isn't it? da 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 Hello and welcome to episode 37 of The Front Free. My name is Adam Boltwood. Joining me as always is the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Oh, I forgot to say my own name. That was good, isn't it? Uh, that was, that was me, mate. Uh, and we've also got the stat man himself, Dave O'Brien. Hello. Hello, chaps. How's it going? It's going well. A lot of fun is happening this week. It is. There's a lot to get through. Before we get to that, though, we've got to do the comment of the week. Mm. Um, Dave has picked this one out <laughs> uh, from Anna Thomas. She says, how about Dave Talks for Dave's YouTube channel name? And she's done a little tongue face. Why don't so, we just call it Dave? What about Dave. Dave? Yeah, what, it's not? a good idea for a channel, isn't it? Dave Talks yeah. Football. Dave Talks Dave. Football? I just like Dave. And I think Dave. what we do is we just do old reruns of other shows. Yes, <laughs> I think it'll be brilliant. It's just, it's just old from free episodes uh, over, and over. <laughs> over and over again. That's old YouTube shows. Let's get into the the news, Lawrence. I want to Go talk first off, Dave. We've got to talk about the big news today. Gary Neville has been named as Valencia's head coach until the end of the season. When I first saw this, I thought it was a typo. I thought it was going to be Phil Neville. Where, where's this come from? It's come from nowhere. Yeah, I sort of thought saw it on a WhatsApp group as well, and I thought, "This can't be right." But then obviously, you get on the Google, see if it's see if it's not not a lie, and it wasn't. But it's a it's a really interesting move for Valencia. Obviously, they've been struggling a little bit this year, but Gary Neville to you know have his first crack at coaching, you know, be, managing a, a team is really interesting. You you saw the documentary on the BBC recently about um, Salford City was, was was thoroughly interesting about how committed he was to the cause. So if he sort of can bring that level of commitment to Valencia, and obviously the Spanish. Um, language barrier is going to be the only issue there. Valencia could, you know, sort of turn into a really top side because they've always been on the cusp of being sort of great, being that third position in in Spain. Obviously, Atletico have taken it recently, but before that, it was always Valencia who were coming third. So it's just a really interesting move, and obviously, Phil's been there since the start of the season. So it's it's good to see. It's a fascinating move, though, isn't it, Lawrence? Because obviously, Gary Neville is a very well respected pundit over here in the UK, um, known as a very intelligent football man who gives some yeah. some really interesting opinions. It's quite a big job to step into as, as your first coaching role. I mean, that, that might be a good and a bad thing. Um, the positives for Neville is that he's obviously already worked in coaching, has the right badges, and is certainly equipped. It's also, let's bear in mind, a short term uh, thing. So. I think a lot of people thought, you know, it couldn't get any worse than we feel it is right now. 
Um, and, you know, we, we want to improve things. So why don't we go down the route of diversifying the culture a little bit, bringing someone in who's going to bring some sort of regimentation, someone who's got the experience um, of playing under a manager for a very long time who had some really good methods, not only motivating the players, but instilling the right values into them. And I think that's the, been part of the problem at the Valencia is that they've had a lot of not wayward top stars, but people who maybe haven't always been 100% united behind the cause and maybe sometimes had uh, their energy misaligned or they wanted to do you know, other things or do their own thing or uh, there's a lot of different, basically people pulling in different directions. And I think Gary Neville is quite a unifying character, whether he can, and I think also quite a respected character considering the position that he played, the reading of the, that he had of the game, the people he's played alongside during his career, not only for England, but also for Manchester United as well. And then the people now that, that he's managed alongside and, um, and also the people that he kind of has in his phone book as well. I think he brings a lot to the role in terms of what we can assess from the outside, but also a respectability. And I think for him, it's as much uh, an experiment as it is for Valencia. So I think the, the fusion of the two, there's obviously two concurrent timelines here. And also, obviously, it ends in him going back to the England squad and obviously picking up with them, but leaving off with Sky Sports at the moment, which only really affects UK people. Yeah, uh, especially if Jamie Redknapp comes in. I think that's uh, bad news for everyone. Um, Dave, what do you Literally. think? <laughs> Dave, what do you think uh, he's going to be able to, to bring to the team? Because as Lawrence mentions there, he's obviously been doing coaching work with England. It was interesting to see uh, the Valencia club president, Lehun Chan, sort of say it was, it was the personal qualities of Gary yeah. Neville that persuaded us he was the right choice uh, to leave Valencia until the end of the season. I mean, what, what, do you expect this to be a success, Dave? Um, well, I do hope it's a success. If we see the work he's done at England, you know, speaking to the, the young players and so forth, bringing sort of bringing a bit of a tactical edge. Roy Hodgson's teams don't play the best style, so I hope that Gary Neville does go back to what he says in commentary that he does like this rock and roll football in a way. You know, Jurgen Klopp's football. You know, it'd be great to see Gary Neville play in that style. He he sort of commits to that. He doesn't really like teams that um you know he, he likes a possession based team, but not too possession based. He likes the transition. He likes speed. And hopefully if you can bring that to Valencia, it'll be a breath of, breath of fresh air for the Spanish league in a way where you have two real dominant or three real dominant teams and then, you know, the others punching around. I just think it'd be really nice to see an English style in La Liga and see how it sort of adapts. It's sort of like, you know, going to be the mm. sort of Man United B team in a way, maybe. That, that something is, like that. But, but that, that, I mean, that will be interesting to see who he can attract there as well. You know, I think the kind of characters he can attract, they're obviously, they're obviously going to be looking at big names for the amount of money that they have. But also I think one thing that we... Uh, obviously we don't overlook it but he played under Sir Alex for quite a long time so he's gonna and he's so diligent such a student of the game that you imagine he would have picked up almost by osmosis a lot from him and also just studying him because not only him but skulls other people have picked up great management-esque um, uh, traits from him I mean Ryan Giggs is being cut into that similar mold and obviously is his own man but the interesting side there will be I think Dave's right uh, Sir Alex adapted a lot of sides and played a lot of different ways he didn't just have one philosophy there were a lot of things that it was built on but he had such adaptable teams and played many different styles of football even if people came in similar personalities or similar traits he still had such an adaptability that i'll be interested to see how many of this class of 92 and the other people that came mm. out from under alex will be able to implement similar qualities because that's quite exciting to me david i was seeing there Dave, we were saying there about how it's a big club to go to uh, for a first head coach job for Gary Neville, but it's also a very difficult club to manage. You know, the, the outgoing coach Nuno last week said uh, the, the problems at the club are social, not sporting. I mean, it's a club who, you know, although they finished fourth last season, they, this is now their 14th coach 
in a decade. So there's a lot of instability at the club. Yeah, you'd say so, but I think Level might get the stability in a way because Peter Lim obviously would work with him, the mm. shareholder in Valencia has worked with him at um, Salford City. So you'd hope that they take a backward approach with Neville. They'd let Neville do, um, you know, manage the manage the club, you know, the way he likes in a way. Um, I think that'd be quite good for Gary. You know, he did he, with the sort of in the latter stages of United career, he used to do the player the contract negotiations for a lot of the young players. So he's already got a bit of a skill in the transfer market, and we know he's a wonderful coach, and we know he's a wonderful analyst. He sort of has all the ingredients to really turn this Valencia team around. This season, they're really lacking in goals. That's what they've been struggling with the league in 13 games that they played in La Liga this season. They only managed to score 17 goals, and I think that's you know potentially a, a problem with the signings that they've made. For example, Negredo. Hasn't really worked out at Valencia, um, and then you know people like Faguli, who were pretty pretty excellent last season in in La Liga. Um, he's only got you know seven months left of his contract now, so he's not been at the same form that he has been playing at. You know, at the World Cup he was absolutely wonderful for Algeria. And if Neville can potentially get him to sign a new deal and then encourage him to play in that style, then he's onto a winner there. The other players that you've got to probably look out for in this Valencia side is Daniel Prejo. The I think he was ex QPR, um, wonderful central midfielder now really blossoming into a sort of a, a box-to-box central midfielder, scores goals, gets assists, tackles, um, completes passes. And then um, a lad up front, Paco, uh, leading the line, is their top scorer this season, six goals, two assists. But again, they've just got to find that, that balance between playing creative attacking football and scoring goals and, and keeping clean sheets. Obviously, the loss of Otamende uh, in mm. the summer really, really has sort of killed their defence. And They've made a few signings, but they haven't quite been as dominant as Otamendi. We've started to see the real Otamendi in the Premier League and Southampton. He was absolutely fantastic. So it's it's starting to come for him, um, but then obviously not for Valencia. But we'll see. I, I hope that it does go well for Gary Neville. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably like to see him in the United hot seat over Ryan Giggs personally. Oh, oh big shout, big shout. Well, it's gonna, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how he gets on. I think it is a very interesting uh, appointment. His first game in charge is going to be next Wednesday in the Champions League against Lyon. Um, so yeah, we were wishing all the best. Um, moving on though, Lawrence, we've got to talk about Manchester City. So it came out this morning that it's not a percentage in the club itself, is it? It's a percentage in the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? City football group. Yes, the umbrella group, right? Yeah. So, so it's sort of a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a percentage. So £265 million. Pounds. Uh, for thirteen percent stake in uh, in the group, I mean, what does this what does this mean? I mean, is this Chinese foot, uh, China sort of you know coming into to European football? Does does this mean anything seismic? Well, I guess it means that there's there, there's investment in um, football from yet more outside sources, um, more people looking to make money, or I, I'd imagine it's it's a financial investment because they believe that the club is going to go somewhere financially mm. um i i was just, what i'm what i'm interested in is just who then decides who can invest mm. because i mean when we're looking so for instance if you've bought the club and you're considered to be a good investor can some can anyone then buy part of your investment group well, that's it, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the football group that you're buying the shares in because that's what owns Man City. It's sort of a holding group. So the holding group will own all of the football clubs. So if you do buy that, you know, this, this dude will technically have 13% of all the clubs in a way. It, it's the Chinese president, Dave. Oh, yeah, he's a big dog, isn't he? Big dog in the world. Yeah, he's <laughs> a big far. Dog. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's almost... I, I feel like doing him a bit of a disservice. Um, I don't, <laughs> you know, it's not like he's been legally elected, but uh, I mean... 
you know, I'm still, I'm still saying, you know, what does it mean to have an owner or an investor? I suppose that's the problem is, I mean, essentially the people who are already invested in Man City are questionable where the money came from in the first place. I suppose if you've got any royal family that's invested, mm. I suppose any money in football is probably questionable money. But <laughs> yeah. I'm still saying it's, it, it's, I mean, it's very interesting to see that China's investing here, especially in Man City. Um, and why they've chosen to go with City for a start is, I mean, it's, it's fast. I suppose they were, the money, the, the shares are available. But I'm also wondering then what happens with the money that they've invested into that. Does that is that then immediately passed on to the club? Um, it's quite an interesting investment opportunity because obviously they are trying to branch out. We've never sort of seen, we've only, probably the only um, time we've seen this where a company's taken over a l- number of clubs is probably Red Bull with Red Bull Salzburg, Red Bull Leipzig. Um, and Red Bull New York, obviously, seems like a similar investment to that. So in, in business terms, it seems like a good sort of deal that you're you sort of get, you're getting on the hype in, in its infancy in a way. Obviously, Man City aren't in, in their infancy, but they put a lot of money into you know the Manchester local area and so forth. You're probably going to see New York as well spend a lot of money in their infrastructure and that, and then Melbourne City, obviously. And then the Japanese team, uh, is it Yokohama? Sorry? Yokohama, Yokohama. Yokohama, yeah, sorry, there you go. You know, yeah. there's going to be a lot of money there. So right now, it seems... It is a lot of money, you know, four hundred million dollars. But it could be a good investment for him as a person. Do you think whether it, it's the right investment, do you think it benefits uh, City as well, Lawrence? Because obviously, there's a lot of talk about how China is going to be the biggest sort of football market of all in the future. Already, the Premier League sort of growing in popularity. So, is it a yeah. good move for City because they're going to now expand into Asia, a market where you know a lot of Premier League clubs are trying to get a foothold? I think a lot of people are trying to get you're right foothold in China, and, mm. and certainly when you then have investment from the government, that's going to help you getting things over. It's a, I mean, it's a state already, backed. It's a state backed group, is it? That have invest, made this investment. It, it looks like it's a state backed group. Mm. Um, although, what state backed in China actually means? What yeah, do we, it's it's the the China Media Capital, a Chinese state backed investment conglomerate. Which sounds uh, brilliant. So even even <laughs> even more uh, people getting their grubby little fingers involved. Um, <laughs> I guess part of it is. Uh, I mean, we, I mean, Adam, you love movies, don't you? We've recently seen that movies have begun to deliberately include yes. bits of China in or Chinese mm-hmm. positivity mm-hmm. in order to get it um, put into Chinese cinemas because yes. of the huge market that it is. It's yeah, they, just, only, they have a, they have a, they can only show a certain amount of Western films a year, and in order yeah. to, for you to get your your film into Chinese cinemas, you need to maybe make China look. Is that uh, is that actually true? Well, yeah, there's only a certain amount of Western films they can get in, and if you perhaps had a more positive view of China <laughs> in your film, it might you know get a release, which means a lucrative market and a lot more money for your film, doesn't yeah, it? Fair enough. You seen The Martian was was a potential example. Uh, Transformers, the latest Transformers movie was another one. Luca <laughs> was another one. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting that with well, that amount of money, what they could not only you know the the benefits for exposing Manchester City in the the Asian market, but also the actual cash itself. I mean, there's talk that maybe they could use that money to to build a new stadium for New York City FC, um, who is yeah. still playing out of I think Yankee Stadium. Um, I mean, Lionel Messi as well. He's probably worth 265 million. Would you say, Dave? Then maybe they could uh, nah, shell it, it out on him. Um, well, it, just, it, just sort of worry, it does sort of worry me that the only area that we're judging it is obviously the financial investment and where we're going to make a lot of money from it. Um, obviously, that's one side which is very favourable. And 
we do automatically assume that the money is going to be a good thing because we think it's going to go somewhere good. But there was a really, what's been really good is listening to the World Football Phone in over the last few weeks. And if you listen to it, it's, you know, good host, um, good people feeding in. And I think it's Tim Vickery from uh, South America was talking about how I thought this was fascinating. Some people and some clubs in Europe and South America are almost deliberately trying to make players um, less surrounded by money or to, to some extent having to interact with things that are not so much to do with money. So, for instance, uh, some clubs in Brazil are currently making their academy players go out and play on the streets with some of the people who play football on the streets. There are some academies in England have apparently asked their players to make their own way to the game mm. because apparently that makes them more independent. Because what they were worried about was the fact that, that they were almost mollycoddled into a certain kind of football player. And what I'm saying by that is, you know, I mean, the, it, that has a wider thing. And Dave was talking last week about how City have invested in having private schools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he was saying the thought from inside um, uh, the academies was that it doesn't bring enough diversity. And that's what worries me is that conglomerates and huge companies don't necessarily focus on diversity of the group. They focus on getting the biggest markets. And I'm just wondering if that's having an effect on Man City's football and their engineered diversity or complete lack of in their uh, in their academies and where that's going to go. And, you know, the more investment we see from people like this, what that means. It's interesting. I think, you know, this is the first of many sort of uh, Chinese ventures We'll see not just in football but other sort of western uh, businesses and, and great i can't cultures, wait which is interesting um <laughs> anyway dave i want to talk about the ballon d'or because oh yeah the, the the final three nominees have been announced messi ronaldo and neymar but a little bit of controversy because neymar sticking up for his old pal suarez and said you know he should be in there instead of ronaldo would you uh, agree with neymar's slightly biased statement well, if we're looking at pure stats, obviously that's the angle we can attack oh, it I mean, first. That's your um, angle. I think, that's your angle. I think that's a. It's a load of rubbish, really. You know, you see the contribution that Ronaldo's made to Real Madrid in 2015: mm. 42 goals. Uh, sorry, 40, directly involved in 42 goals. So that's 32 goals he scored and 10 assists in La Liga. Only Messi's better in Europe's top five league. So if you're looking at that, you know, you've got to say that Ronaldo's got to be there just for the impact of his team. Mm. You'd argue as well that you know potentially the whole situation at Real Madrid as sort of turned in you know turned it a bit sour in a way in terms of winning La Liga, challenging for for titles and that forth. They're just getting absolutely battered by Barcelona. But you would say that Luis Suarez would have a better chance if he didn't have, you know, the number of issues in two thousand and fourteen, what was it with the, the racism is, and the bite? This is twenty fifteen. I understand that, but you know, if you're again, if we're talking about money in the game, mm. do FIFA wanna push a player like that to the, the forefront of, you know, of their sport. Is it not voted for, a, no. it's voted for by peers, isn't it? It's voted for by players and captains and uh, managers. Yeah, there's there's, there's going to be some, you know, there's going to be, if, if Suarez, for example, did get, the, say, the third pl- best player in the world, which arguably he could be up there, you know, in terms of his playing style, he's probably the best uh, number nine in world football right now. But I just think that there's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to put pissed off the wrong people in a way, and it's going to be. He's just not going to get the votes for that. You know, for example, any ex-Man United player probably wouldn't vote for him. Um, you know, right. any England player would probably not vote for him for certain issues. You know, the Ghana, Football anyone from Ghana wouldn't vote for him. This is the problem. He's just annoyed too many people. I think that's going to be the the ultimate um, costing of, of him ever winning a Ballon d'Or. It's just going to be the mistakes he's made. But he is a fantastic player. The goal he scored at the weekend was absolutely absurd. If you've not seen it, go and oh, check it out. Andres Iniesta. 
spinning in the middle of the centre circle, plays the ball out to Danny Alves, first time, plays it across, and it's just a brilliant Suarez volley. Similar to the goal he scored in the Clasico, actually. Not, mm. um, the, vo- the ball wasn't coming as high, but it was still, still a, a brilliant volley. He's not Gets bad, his is he? Side on. He's, he's all right. He's not a bad little player. Uh, Lawrence, what do you... What is the Ballon d'Or and what do you think it should be for? Because at the moment it seems, you know, we, we've spoke before about how with Messi and Ronaldo sort of uh, at the peak of football, it's, it's become almost like a goal-scoring trophy, whereas I feel it should be more of a... A zeitgeist? Well, like, for example, Messi, Neymar, they've obviously achieved a lot this year, the treble 2015 in the calendar year, whereas Ronaldo hasn't actually achieved a great deal. Yes, he scored a ridiculous amount of goals, as he always does, but should it not be more for... He hasn't had a movie out. I mean, yeah. Sorry, I forgot that. <laughs> but I mean, I mean he... does any other footballer... I think compared to every other football, he's got one movie, and that's 100% more than other footballers. It's not from... <laughs> that is a stat. That. That's a stat, yeah. Um, that is a stat. First of all, Adam, the Ballon d'Or is a little trophy mm. that uh, every year a load of people gather around and pretend matters. Um, and mm. we play into that. And that's great. I love the way that we all play into that because it gives us hours of cool talking and content. Mm. Um, and then we all sit around and go, isn't he great? Yeah, he's great. But he's great too. Yes, he's also great. Yes. And but who is else he is great? great? <laughs> no, he is great. But is he actually that great? Well, he's a little <laughs> bit more great. Well, um, so, and It's a lot of superlatives wrapped up into one little golden football. Lawrence, and then we give were... that to someone who represents a time of football. And that's what I'm saying. It should be maybe more zeitgeist, less based on statistics. Although statistics do help, but less based directly on. So instead of going, he scored a lot of goals, give it to him. It what should I want be more you to tell me, Lawrence, if we were giving out the front three door, which I know makes no sense. Because yeah. that, that the door? What type of door is it? The, 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 yeah. But, I but mean, would, who would be your three, is what I'm saying? Who would be your, if we were both putting Well, it would be Adam, board, Dave, Lawrence. Um, footballers <laughs> there. But then, um, okay, so no it would probably be... Is, you know, just our personal three. That's who would you put forward? <sighs> I, I think Suarez would probably be in there. I think Messi okay. would probably be in there. Hmm. And for that reason, you've got to put Neymar in there, haven't you? But the problem is, then it doesn't look like a diverse award. Well, Dave, what would you say? I'd potentially throw Andres Iniesta in there instead mm. of Suarez. I think Suarez has been, you know, the best number nine. Can you then... put Busquets in there, Dave? That's again another thing. That's the problem. I'd like that. Those. I'd, I'd like to be a, a five, a five door in a way. Five doors will give away, um, give some plywood ones away, and so forth. But I really do think that Andres Iniesta has been at that, you know, sort of at another level than any central midfielder in world football. During 2015, again, he should win it um, in some respects if, if the forwards weren't counted. But then obviously they are and their goals are a lot more important. It's just interesting, isn't it really? Like, I think, I think though that's, the, that's why I'm saying zeitgeist, Adam, instead of just goals. Mm. Uh, you want yes. you know, zeitgeist goals. Yes, in many ways. I think you just made it's a new word goals. And I like it. Um, yeah. on, Barcelona, on Barcelona, talk to me, Lawrence, about Carlos Puyol. Because apparently yeah. he... He was approached by Inter Milan, was he? He was approached by, I think he was approached by a number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people were interested in what Carlos was going to do post-Barcelona. Um, and a lot of people were saying, you know, there's probably still a role for you. Um, he had the opportunity to work with uh, Roberto Mancini at Inter Milan. Um, and basically, people were saying, you know, obviously there's still a career for you in football. You've retired as a player, but what do you want to do next? He said... I want to be, and this is interesting, a football agent. 
Uh, <laughs> now that's interesting because you sort it's of an think interesting career choice, isn't it? Well, I mean, for, uh, well, it's interesting. Crime. It depends whether you mean interesting in a direct sense or interesting in a like a. Oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, that's uh, so it is interesting because he, a, a player, first of all, has decided to you know be a football agent, um, and that is interesting because he's probably going to uh, understand what it's like from the player's perspective uh, and also understand oh, but the difference would be he spent did he spend his entire career at Barcelona yeah it's quite how good is he going to be interesting. that's my worry that's my worry how, how good can one man be who spent his entire career at one club on transferring players um, yeah and also Barcelona quite a prescriptive club I wonder if he's going to kind of take that approach and try and apply it to football an he, agency yeah, so he's he set up an agency. This is what he's done uh, with his, Essentially, yeah. his well, lifelong I, I friend it's... and former teammate, Ivan de la Pena. Ivan uh, de la Pena, football manager legend. He said, uh, Ivan is passionate about football. He loves discovering new talents. He can spend the whole day watching young players. He has told me about Neymar and Coutinho when they were both 14 years old and Douglas Costa too. So he must be good. If, if he spotted those three, um, so yeah, apparently Priol's role. Know how early he spotted them, and whether everyone else. He said fourteen them as well. years old, mate. Uh, Priol's role will apparently be to personally coach the players uh, that the company signs up, giving career advice as well as day-to-day help with improving them as players and making sure they make the most of their careers. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I suppose it's, that's it's part. Not often of, you see that. Is it? Interesting. Well, I mean, it's also going to be interesting because. Uh, it brought up the the again the memory for me of the F um, F uh, basically the the guy the FIFA pro and they are talking about um, t- getting rid of transfer fees and those kind of things. So I think mm. that's going to change people's interest in whether they want to be an agent or not and what kind of representation players are going to get because basically it's going to not completely get rid of transfer fees, but it's going to mean that there's a different kind of money in the game and different people are going to begin to get that money and it'll move in different ways. So I don't know. Maybe he's preparing for that time. Dave, I want to go to Italy to talk about Serie A with you. Oh, yeah. On Monday yeah. night, Napoli sure play Inter Milan. They win 2-1. Okay. They're top of the table, Dave. Gonzalo Higuain banging in the goals. This is a guy who was uh, the butt of a few jokes. Uh, Gonzalo! For his, uh, <laughs> well I mean, you've got you've, you've got you've got the announcer's job down there. Um, talk to me, Dave, a little bit about Napoli. Talk to me a little bit about Higuain. Why they're top of the table? Um, well, I think it starts with Sari, um, the Empoli coach. Uh, was was a pretty good, you know, did very well with Empoli. Brought them up from Serie B, uh, kept them in Serie A. They were pretty solid. They, I think they they kept more clean sheets than any team that was in the bottom half of the table last season. So they were very disciplined. And he's sort of taken that to Napoli. The Napoli's issue under Benitez was they were really poor defensively. They couldn't defend for Toffee. And he's really brought that stability in. He's, <laughs> he's playing a, a 3-4-3 with um, Jorginho is, is sitting uh, pretty much controlling the show. He completed 100 and, um, I think it was 180 passes, um, not this week, but the week before, which is more than any other player managed in Europe's top five leagues this season. And it's more than any other player apart from um, Chabi Alonso in Squawker's five years of the data they've got. So that's pretty incredible. And then in front of him, you've got Hamzik, who's the playmaker, and then Alan, the box-to-box midfielder. And then up front, you've got, obviously, Gonzalo Higuain, scored more goals than any other player in Serie A in 2015. 21 league goals, pretty decent. And then you've got um, Insignia, who's really come alive since he's come back from injury. And then Callion, um on the right. So it's... It's a good, bl- a good blend of a solid defence, a pretty decent midfield and a really good striker banging form in Higuain. And yesterday he scored two goals, 
His, his second goal was absolutely brilliant. He bullied the defender out of the way. A wonderful finish. But in that game, it was quite interesting. Pepe Reina really come out, you know, came out on top at the end of the game. Yeah. Inter Milan hit the post twice in the last like minute of the game. When, and the, the second time they hit the post was a fantastic save from Reina. And he went absolutely nuts after the game. But I kind of hope Napoli do win, win the league because, you know, Sari's story is quite interesting. I think he was a banker. Um, until he was about 40 and then he moved into coaching football and he did it in the lower leagues and so in the lower Italian leagues like Serie B, Serie D, Serie mm. C2 and 1, whatever. And now he's back at, you know, he's at the top of the game and he's obviously a very intelligent bloke and this Napoli team's playing some pretty decent football so it's all looking good. Do you think they're going to be able to w- win the title then? Because um, this is a team we talked about, um, you know, uh, challenge in the last couple of years it hasn't quite worked out for them. Now they're at the top of Serie A for the first time since 1990, apparently. I think it's it's all looking really good for them. Um, the only thing that I'd worry about is is the one and only Juventus, who are, are kind of like finding their form now. Um, they won 3-0 again at the weekend. It's very, you know, Juventus aren't the best team to watch. I wouldn't say, you know, if you've got a spare Sunday, don't really watch the Juventus game because they are pretty boring, but they're starting to click again. They're starting to get these results. Are they as boring um, as Man United though, Dave? They are not as boring as Manchester United, but no team in European football are as boring as Manchester United, that's apart that's from true. West Bromwich Albion. So, you know, <laughs> with that, you've got that. I'd say that Juve, you've got to look out. Fiorentina, um, you know, I was blowing the trumpet a few weeks ago. They've, they've hit a little bit of rough form. They've, they drew their last game 2-2, and I think they drew again this weekend one all. So they maybe have dropped off. Inter Milan, who I predicted at the start of the season, will win the league. Again, we're beaten by Napoli. So, it, it, Syria, anyone could win Syria and it might just be the old lady again. Lawrence, going back to agents, I'm now yeah. seeing why Carlos Puyol is getting into this game. No, you're not, mate. Um, apparently in the Premier League last year, there was £129 million in payments to agents, agent fees. Pretty amazing. Pretty crazy. Adam, which club do you think spent the most? Um, let me have a little think. Who spent the most money? In the, it's got to be United, City, Liverpool. One of those three. It's Liverpool, mate. It's Liverpool. Um, who, who do you think... Uh, let me just check this. Who do you think spent the... Le- although it's probably fairly easy to work out who spent um, the least because um, actually... Bournemouth. Must be Bournemouth. Uh, it was indeed Watford. Ah, Really? Watford spent the least on... I, I would have put them up there because they signed a lot of players from abroad, didn't they, in the summer? Um, and, it, it, you know, deals that look like they've been pulled out of nowhere. But maybe Watford have got their transfer policy down to an absolute T. Watford got 1.6 million for uh, for theirs, whereas Bournemouth almost 2.3. So half a million more there, Dave. Um, Liverpool obviously okay. spending 14.3 million. That's not f- too far behind uh, our Manchester United on 13.8, City on 12.4. <laughs> um, obviously, there were some pretty big deals uh, that, that for all those sides. And Liverpool's spending has consistently gone up every season since 2010-11. Obviously, until this year when it's remained relatively the same, only about 7,000 different. If anything, it went down uh, 7,000. But it really shows that Liverpool's uh, dealing with agents seems to be that they favour deals where the agent uh, seems to get a a significant cut of that, which is quite The biggest chunk of the the, the £14 million or so bill was related to Firmino from half an hour. Apparently, it's a third-party ownership rights. That's that's always going to cost you a a fair bit of change, isn't it? Yeah, well, obviously, there's a lot more sort of administration to go on with those sorts of things as well. You know, there's probably one extra bit of paper that costs you a million. Um, (laughs) 
and that, but that's part of the problem, isn't it, really, Adam? Um, but I, I, I do think it's a lot of clubs are going to feel a little bit worried by that sort of thing. I also think that uh, there are a lot of people who are working behind the scenes to make sure that uh, the money goes to the right places. And I think that over the next few years, we will see some pretty big shifts in the way that money moves between players and clubs and also the way that it moves between agents, clubs and other uh, bodies and stuff. I think that there's going to be A, tighter checks and B, um, it's going to be harder to own players in a way which is basically going to make you a lot of money. On agents, I wanted to talk a little bit. It kind of it's, it's going to be a nice transition, so I think. I want to talk briefly about Jorge Mendes. So, yeah, have, you, have you seen the Ronaldo film yet, guys? Yeah, no. you've seen I just it. Don't right? want to waste yeah, my time. Sorry, uh, I mean, pretty, pretty similar to everyone else's reviews. Really beautiful, so. some nice moments. That's it. So, one of the standout characters was Jorge Mendes, and yeah. it's. I find it fascinating. Not only the influence he had on uh, Ronaldo's life, as you see in the movie, but also football in general. Some of the players that he's got on his books. Ronaldo, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, David De Gea is, uh, is one of his clients. Otamendi, mm-hmm. uh, Thiago Silva, of course, uh, Radamel Falcao. So this is a guy who has a lot of influence. In the, mercenary, the mercenaries football. of world football, you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there, he, he, there's a lot of talk that, you know, he, he is running... European football in many ways. So much so that there's been talk that he could pick Valencia's new coach. Have you heard this, Dave? Oh, uh, is that a connection with Peter Lim at all? Exactly. Or is it a connection with Phil Neville? <laughs> I mean, you know, it could be one or the other. But apparently, uh, Valencia, on a limb here, but, uh... Valencia chairwoman <laughs> Lehun Chan said she is fed up of answering questions about Jorge Mendes' influence at the club. So the coach Nuno left Dave, obviously now to have been replaced by Neville. But give the people a little bit of background on why uh, the previous manager left the club. So I think it's a bit of a mess at the moment. Obviously, Lim came in, what was it, last season or the season before, you know, threw a load of money at the club. They were actually banned for, a tra- you know, I think they were banned last year for making transfers because it was such a mess and they couldn't get it sorted out. Mm. They signed a number of players. Negredo's gone there. I don't think he's even played for them this season. Um, it looks like they just sort of ran out of steam a bit towards the end of um, the coach's sort of career. They've only, scored, they've only scored 17 goals in 13 games this season. They're not really firing all cylinders. They got beat by Sevilla, obviously a rival for the Champions League spot. So it's probably time for him to go. Um, you know, finishing fourth last season, a brilliant uh, finish for them, but now in ninth, currently ninth in La Liga. Sort of may have been the right time. Um, losing Otamende was absolutely massive. He was the best centre half in, in uh, La Liga last season. Obviously, going to Man City and really starting to show his physicality and his you know abrasion against Southampton at the weekend. I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch. Was absolutely was really physical with Sado Mene, with Shane Long, was giving them little kicks here and there. And I think if you pull someone like that out of your defence. You're really going to sort of struggle defensively as well as offensively if you, you know, he was a bit of a ball player there as well. So it's just an interesting one. I think that Valencia, they're a massive club. I just would wish they were in the hands of someone that was a bit better than Peter Lim. Well, yeah, apparently uh, Mendes acted as an advisor to Lim, uh, represented the manager, the ex manager, Nuno, uh, who resigned uh, the weekend. And apparently uh, he represents a number of players who were coincidentally brought to the club uh, since Lim took control. Um, what a surprise but yeah but Valencia president Chan, Chan Hoon has uh, said she's tired of discussing the agent and uh, says he doesn't control he doesn't call the shots if Mendes controlled the club then Nuno wouldn't have left 
she said. Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's part of it is uh, maybe people are drawing the wrong lines between those sorts of things. Maybe, it, you know, it is convenient to just go back to the same agent or maybe he is a good agent in the current climate. I think a lot of people, though, consider him to be um, a con. Uh, like, basically, he, he's very good at this current system. Um, they just think if the power structure was to change, which he's very probably against, um, then it would probably destabilize his business model and probably destabilize a lot of other agents' business models. And I think that's why there's a lot of interest against changing this kind of business. But I, I still think that, that in the next few years, we will see people pushing for players to be able to move more freely and also for players um, basically to like not to be trapped by the club or not to be trapped by a financial agreement. It's just- I'm just fascinated by his influence. influence? Yeah. The fact um, that, you know, Otamendi is some of one of the biggest power. news. Uh, Martial, apparently, he was involved with that one, uh, which broke the, the, yep. the record for uh, a teenager. Um, that obviously, David Haye, I mentioned, Falcao going to Chelsea. It's just to, a peak uh, people trafficker, isn't he? He goes and buys young is. talent in South Africa and South Africa, sorry, South America and ships them off around the world. It's, mm. For me, it's absolutely disgusting and people like that should be out of the game. But. I'm not in charge. Well, uh, bloody hell, Dave. He's gone for it. He's gone for it. Hasty decisions made. It's it's one of those things that agents just really get to me. Mm. I feel that there's no use for agents if they're not going to do. If they're not going to be like, if they're not going to be like Poyle and be life coaches, what is the point in them? They're just there to make money on transfers. It's useless. I just don't know if everyone's going to agree with the way that uh, one, one agent sees the world. And I guess that's mm. why you have a, a plethora of agents. You don't just have one or you have an agent in the first place. I feel like you've been burned on Football Manager, Dave. You're getting burned with the agent fees. Yeah, you're right, yeah I'm getting very burned. You know, <laughs> paying agent, agent fees is a joke. <laughs> and, it's breaking Dean my club. Well. It's destroying Dean, me. Dean Maria as well over the summer. Um, exactly. And what, what, these, and maybe, these players just leave. Maybe, Lawrence. Diego Costa is, is another Mendes client who could be on the move. Uh, in the not too distant future obviously at the weekend we saw the culmination of a little bit of a simmering tension between Costa and Mourinho uh, they've had a falling out in, in the past few weeks or so they've sort of apparently had a shouting match uh, at the away Champions League game at Maccabi Tel Aviv this weekend he was left on the bench dropped for the first time uh, since he came to Chelsea I believe which resulted in him sort of throwing his bib towards Mourinho true to form he missed yeah, it's quite fiery though Fortunately, I mean, Mourinho says he's quite fiery. Hmm. Fortunately, it missed. Mourinho says, you know, it's all part of uh, his passion for the game. But what do you make Um, of what's going on with Costa right now? Because obviously his form has been dreadful this season. But much like Chelsea, you look back at it, it's been 10 months, really, where Diego Costa's form has completely dropped off. Well, what about other players in that time? um, Yeah, I know. Fabregas. Fabregas. Yeah, Matic. Um, You would say, though, that um, Mourinho is trying to... Eden Hazard. Uh, you know, Mourinho and a number of people at that club are trying to motivate players. And mm. when it gets to extreme times, then maybe sometimes I think Mourinho takes extreme measures. And I think he probably expects a couple of players to react like this. I guess the good thing, I think he probably sees this as a positive because it means that the player cares in some way. Mm. And I think he probably thinks he can engage with that and make that into something a positive for him and the club. But I don't know if it's an overall positive. Dave, would, um, you, would you agree with that? Because we're talking about a player who the reports are, he's not the most professional. He, he turned up pre-season overweight, apparently. Um, he sort of flew off to Ibiza when he was supposed to be resting uh, an injury earlier in the season. And there's reports now that, you know, they, Chelsea, think or believe that his long-term future doesn't lie in the club. They're, they're, they're willing to let him go next summer. And they want to get in the likes of Griezmann, the likes of Higuain. I think that would be difficult. Robin. Yeah, but I... I 
Well, I mean, what do you make of Diego Costa? Do you think he, his long-term future does lie at Chelsea? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it, that Mourinho's wow. long-term future is probably not at Chelsea, but Diego Costa doesn't really fit the the life at Chelsea. I think mm. he's you know he's been back to Madrid a lot since he moved to Chelsea. I think that he's been found out in the Premier League. He's a very one-dimensional striker. Either you get him in behind, or you put him into the left channel, and he'll do some, and he'll cut onto his right foot, or you won't. And he's not good. I don't feel he's good enough for a team that has possession of the football like Chelsea have this season. You know, teams mm. are sitting off them. And it's the thing with Diego Costa that he should be working very hard now to better himself as a footballer. What is he, 27, 28 years mm. old? Yeah. You know, that's the key. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Key time in his career. He should be absolutely banging goals in as a striker. And, and we've seen this season, he's been absolutely rubbish. What scored three goals this season compared to 20 last season. His chance conversion is almost halved from 35% to 17%. It just looks, it's a real mismatch. And I think that with him, with him in such bad form it, it, and him being the target last season, you know, the Chelsea looking for Diego Costa quite early, it just doesn't work well for the rest of the players. You know, Eden Hazard is now the one that everyone's sort of watching out for. There's no threat with Diego Costa. Fabregas can't ping the balls over the top to Costa. Mm. Just seems like, you know, an absolute mess. He's only 27, so he should be right only now. 27. He should be loving life. He shouldn't be going out doing a Ronaldinho. It's young, He's just got to be, he's got to sort himself out, really. Lawrence, one striker who's banged in the goals, though, is Jamie Vardy. He, he broke the Premier League record over hey, the weekend. Party, he? He, hasn't bro- he hasn't broken the Football League record. He's still got that to do. Lionel Messi has apparently got a 21-game scoring streak, so he's got one to go <laughs> before, he, he, uh, before he matches up with, uh, with Lionel Messi himself. But I wanted to say, um, Lawrence, there's a lot of talk about Jamie Vardy, obviously, centre of attention right now. Um, a lot of sort of talk about this Leicester striker. There's talk that he might be on the move in January. Yeah. What I want to know is, he's 27, 28, I believe, which is Dave 29, Sauce, which is saying he's young. But he's probably got one last big move in him. Would be his first. I big don't know. Move. But we. I mean, I was saying this to a Leicester fan the other day. I don't know if it's uh, good for Leicester to cash in if they will cash in. Which what? clubs are going to want them to cash in? Hmm. Well, there's talk Whether it's Manchester even worth United. him moving. Do you think he would be able to cut it at a the next level? Is what I want to know. In the Champions League, for example, at Manchester United, at the likes of Arsenal, do you think this is a player who could take that next step? I think with a coach, with a coach that could coach him well, he's obviously. Mm. That there's a lot. There's a lot of what most people describe as natural talent, um, something that they believe is inherent to him, and that's why people obviously spend a lot of money on certain players. Uh, what I would say is, I would say Jamie Vardy is at a level which really suits him right now. I don't know why he would want to disrupt that. Mm. Uh, Going to sit on the bench at Chelsea, for example. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Chelsea would be the wrong move. I think there's too many clubs where he would go and he wouldn't necessarily start. Uh, and I think United are probably one of those as well. I think Chelsea are definitely one of those. And I think for that United reason, better not buy him. <laughs> well, that's, that's. I mean, most people are just saying United because they believe that United don't have any, uh, you know, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but that's not the point, really. I think it's just poor analysis, and it's a lot of people drawing very poor lines. I imagine what it is is that Jamie Vardy uh, wants to get an upgrade in what he's being paid right now because he has a good record. There's a lot of people saying, well, maybe he'll get a move or will he get offered a new contract? Um, I, I think he's at the right level. I think he should stay. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think, to be honest, I think it's just actually pretty lazy stuff. I don't know what, what the point... I, I'm sick of people, every time that someone gets good, saying, well, will he go to PSG? Will he go to Barca? Will he go to Manchester? No, he's good where he is right now. That's what I mean. Yeah, he's, he's, he's at the right team. He's, he's yeah. flourishing because he's at Leicester, surely. Why would he want... Like you say, why would he want to disrupt? Why would he want to go anywhere else? Mm. Why would he want to... Yeah, exactly. So I'm saying, no, keep him where he is. It's, it's, he's good where he is. I want to touch quickly on one other thing about uh, Jamie Vardy. Did you see jan- journalist Jonathan Liu, what he said in, in, in light of Vardy's record-breaking exploits? Yeah, no, what did he say? Silly. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. He tweeted out, um, congratulations, Jamie Vardy, you massive racist. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Referring to an incident at the start of the season, which people might not know about, where yep. Jamie Vardy was in a casino um, he, this is it's filmed, you can sort of find the footage online um, he seems to take exception to someone potentially looking at his cards or something, for whatever reason he takes exception to someone and he uses racist remarks to call out that person so the term he uses is Jap, a man of East Asian descent, he sort of shouts out, oi Jap you know, jog on, walk on so at the time he had to apologise for the incident he uh, was ordered to attend diversity uh, awareness training by Leicester. He was fined. So it happened in August. So Jonathan Liu, uh, who's a, a journalist for The Telegraph, I believe, yeah. um, came out and said this. And he says he came out and said this because he wanted to draw attention to the incident because he feels like it wasn't given enough coverage. It didn't get enough attention at the time. I'm not sure it did. So we, um, I think he makes a good point. I think, but you know, we are slightly rewarding uh, the lad idea, and I do think a lot of people obviously like that. But you know, such phrases as which are funny phrases, chat shit, get banged, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. It, it's all. I mean, that's essentially uh, endorsing violence, which basically is, you know, if you say something <laughs> ridiculous, then I'm going to hit you. He, um, it, yeah, the impression you get from Jamie Vardy that he's perhaps not the smartest. Man, perhaps yeah, but that insurance is not really uh, any sort of a uh, a defence. No, 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 not at all. But what I want to know is, do you think I almost agree with Jonathan Liu bringing attention to it because I hadn't heard of that incident before he tweeted about it. I had no idea that Jamie Vardy. No, 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 I didn't. I I hadn't heard of it. So therefore, a lot of people seem to have taken exception with it because. They're sort of saying, whoa, what's that got to do with anything? You know, we've got to move on. Uh, you know, Jamie's apologised. He's been fine. But at the same time, I, for example, would never have heard about that if he hadn't have said. Uh, yeah, but, but I mean, that's part of his role as a journalist, really, isn't it? I think a lot of people maybe don't uh, look at the overall situation there and they, they basically just go, well, I mean, why are you bringing this up now? And um, because uh, I think it may also resonate with some people who 
probably feel they would have said the same thing. I'm not saying that people are racist or that I am racist. Uh, I think there are people who would have said silly things in those mm. sort of situations and feel a bit Ooh. of not. They don't feel, it's very difficult to feel sympathy for anyone who said anything racist, but they feel, and I think this is part of the modern condition. Uh, they feel like, uh, oh well, you know, I would have made that same mistake, uh, and they feel a little bit persecuted for the same reasons, and people therefore react in an angry way. It's Dave, silly. Dave, do you agree with Jonathan Lewis? Just don't bringing... like Jamie Vardy, and that's one of the reasons why I don't like him. I think that everyone missed it in the media because mm. there was a whole incident, the other incident at Leicester City this summer with Nigel Pearson's son being an absolute <laughs> weapon. And then, obviously, it did get brushed under the carpet, and I do think that we should have drawn attention to it then. I don't feel that now, when he's broken a goal-scoring record, is the right time to, to push it forward. I feel that we should have, as a community, we should have attacked that issue at source. We should have sought a Jamie Vardy, we should have spoke about Jamie Vardy then. Hmm. And it, for me, it just it, it's kind of annoying that our society, we miss things and then we only highlight it when the sort of curve comes back up in a way. Like, would would Jonathan Liu have, have tweeted that if, for example, Jamie Vardy had done nothing now, you know, he'd gone back but to the But you know, I think two, that's maybe. the point, that Jamie Vardy's getting a lot of exposure now. That well, we should people like Jonathan Liu should be bringing attention to this. No, no, I agree. It's, it's, good of... to, it's definitely good to bring it in. I just feel that the moment wasn't quite right. Hmm. And I also feel that we should know about this stuff before. Like we, we should just know that if someone has done that in the past, that that's part of their character now. So, you know, Although, whole, like, yeah, England thing. okay, so, so what we should do, what should we technically, you know, what we should do if, if for example, it's you're found guilty of saying a racist remark is that you should not be able to represent your country. And that's how we should approach these situations to sort of sort this out. And that's the only that's thing that's going to kill. How long should you not be able to represent your country for? But this is the issue. Well, for the rest of your career, then you're going to st- then we're going to cut this type of shit out. And I think that's the only thing that we're going to do. You know, for example, the John Terry stuff that was an absolute mess as well. Like we didn't get enough. Obviously, there's a lot of media exposure there again, and, and things happen. But it's just not for me. It's not enough. And I feel that we're fighting this battle, and we're not engaging the battle at source. We're engaging the battle after the war's been fought. And it's right. it's like being a historian and being like, okay, yeah, we um, we shouldn't have gone to. Um, Iraq and Afghanistan because uh, it wasn't the right reasons to go yet we still then we go back and we analyze okay there's still an issue ISIS are now in Iraq and and Syria because we caused that issue from the first time we're in there so we should have never left in the first time it's sort of looking at things um, well I mean it it does also depend how macro you want to go on any situation because a lot of people would also say I mean, if you go even further back, the most people would say you caused that problem in the first place because you ended up drawing the borders. Um, oh, yeah, that's what we're I mean. getting pretty political here right now. But, but, <laughs> it, it is getting pretty political because obviously Jamie Vardy is engaged with a political issue because he said something politically stupid, not only politically stupid, but personally stupid yes. as well. Yes. The problem being, we live in a world which is, and we are three white guys on a pretty privileged podcast who are in a privileged position being able to speak to people. And there are probably people out there who have had a uh, different experience in the world, which we probably cannot directly relate to, but probably have heard stories of. Um, we and, and Jamie Vardy is in a similar position. He's in a privileged position within society, which has been created by essentially a lot of privilege that he's known throughout his life. That doesn't mean he didn't deserve uh, some of the plaudits that he's getting for the great achievement that he's doing within the bubble which he operates. The problem being, if, if you do not give people chance to reform, then you are, no, or, or chance to get forgiveness or any of those things, then you are operating in a very limited world. Um, and w- uh, whilst he shouldn't be saying that in the first place, uh, and we are probably cynical about how much the journalist is, uh, why he's highlighting it, whether he's doing it for numbers, um, and whether we're right to be cynical of the journalist for doing his job. Having listened to uh, an article, uh, uh, sorry, having listened to an interview with Jonathan Liu on the on yeah. the second captains, which is obviously a fantastic podcast. He is, says, is, John, is Jonathan Liu anything? Uh, am I wrong in assuming? 
his second name would indicate that he is he, he's Asian himself. Asian himself, yeah. So he he said he brought it up because he he, he felt like there was enough tension about it in the first place. So he felt like people didn't know about it, and he felt like he needed to to bring attention to it. I felt similar, but I, I also I feel the same way about the lag culture that is um, you know chat shit get banged etc. I I, yeah, I don't feel that's appropriate. Well, um, just wrong. It's uh, it's a thorny <laughs> issue. It's a, it's a it's a difficult issue, but um, I think it's good that he brought attention to it. Maybe as Dave says, it's not the right time, but I feel like you know. When when is the best time? Well, we as, a, we as a society should be more open to um, to media and the news, and we should learn more about shit. I think. <laughs> I think part, the things. part of the problem is that um, there are clickbait out there make it very difficult to differentiate what is mm. news and what isn't news. Um, yeah, that's true. We well, must sift through a lot of media crap. We are going to move on to Probably this week's that. talking point, guys. So what we want to do in in the Wednesday podcast from now on is we want to we want to get through all the interesting news that we did just there. We want to move on to a sort of twenty minute. Uh, half an hour section where we focus on one topic in depth have a have a sort of a, a debate about it and we get a guest on uh, to do that with us now we did have a very special guest who was lined up to come on unfortunately he couldn't make it this week we hope to get him on in the next few weeks so we've got our main man Kristen Hennage to talk to us about Newcastle United Right, we've got Kristen Hennage here. Kristen, it is a pleasure to have you. Cheers, thank you. It's nice to be, be on again. I you're, here, you're here to talk to us about Newcastle. We want to yeah. get in-depth on... They're not quite the worst team in the Premier League, um, but they're getting there, aren't they? Yeah, I think Villa have still got that kind of... Uh, I felt like Red Men TV put it best, Kristen, when they <laughs> said um, Newcastle are shit. But do you think, are you right? Do you think they're right? <laughs> I think when you get analysis that's that deep and wide-ranging, it's hard to really supplement it. I think, as I say, I think Villa are the worst at the minute. In fact, I was looking this up today. Villa have got a lower points total than the infamous Derby of 07 away after 14 games. Um, Thank God there's someone worse than you in the league this season. (laughs) I know, right? There's someone to prop us up in theme. Um, But I I think... Yeah, you, you can't really look past it. it. It is difficult to look outside the numbers and say they aren't very good. I think maybe when you look at the fixture list, it wasn't the easiest start. That start is now also fairly far away in the distance, so there's not much of an excuse. I think in some ways, though, you, you can build a momentum in this league. And, you know, it's it's that idea of, I always use the old Miles Davis quote about it doesn't really matter if you hit a bum note, it's the note you hit afterwards that's the most important. And when you've lost the first few games of the season, and everything's about change and breeding a new identity. And that identity comes after two seasons of mediocre football and, and getting drubbed pretty much most weeks. I feel like it's hard to recover from that. What I would say in the wider picture, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about that, is that they essentially engineered themselves into this position. This was not all bad fortune that got them here. Looking at it right now, though, what do you think is the, the biggest problem? How do they get themselves out of this short term? Is, do they need to get rid of McLaren, for example? I, for the first time, I would be tempted to say yes on the single provision that Brendan Rodgers is willing to take the job. I think... Is he really? I'm saying if he is, sorry, that's the only reason I would look to, to get rid of McLaren is if Rodgers would be willing. The thing is, the reason I say that, and it is slightly blue sky thinking, is I think he's very adaptable. He showed that at Liverpool. He went from the possession style to the more direct style when he realised that that was the best option for them. 
Equally, I was always quite impressed with how he handled Liverpool as a city and Liverpool fans. And I don't mean that in a derogatory. I mean, I just mean that he grasped the way the football club was run and the way that it saw itself. And I think when you've got that kind of harmony, it makes things a lot easier. And I think that's part of the reason he lasted as long as he did. Um, and I don't think every manager that, that comes to Newcastle fully grasps that. And it's it's something that I often find in the case of Alan Pardew, for example, did him a... Problem. Do you think that the worry was a little bit that, uh, I mean, this is more of an evaluation of Brennan Rodgers, the theoretical manager of Newcastle, that he got lost a little bit in the rhetoric which he put out? And that would be the worry about someone like Rodgers, is that he, he, you, you always worry, does he actually believe in the things he's saying or is he saying it to endear himself to a group of people? I know he comes across as a very genuine guy sometimes, and he, he can be quite sincere, sometimes almost to a naive extent. Um, you wonder, do you need someone a little bit more savvy at a club? And that's maybe why the portrayal of Rodgers and the portrayal of managers like McLaren is always a doomed one when they go to a club where it's seen that the owner's this savvy, evil sort of figure um, who's built things to to essentially supplement his own needs as opposed to the, the fans in the club. Possibly. I think the difference is... In Liverpool, everything you say is cast in stone in that sense. It travels around the world as a much bigger scope. I don't feel that's there with Newcastle. I feel the relationship is a lot more closed off to the rest of the world. And, and as a consequence... It sort of suits you, doesn't it, in a way that you're not... There's no there's no attack. At Liverpool, Brendan Rodgers did so well at the start, then he lost the players, he lost the fans. Couldn't mm. really see that happening at Newcastle in a way. You know, the guy, the, the Geordies do get behind their team if they are playing a certain way of a style of football. I do feel Brendan Rodgers could get that out of this current Newcastle team, but still think they require signings, Kristen. What do you reckon? Who, who do you think we need to bring in? Yeah, no, I think you've touched on that. And, and unfortunately, that's more of a long-term thing that you do because obviously the transfer window is not open for over a month yet. If I'm trying to pick maybe two or three, I've, I've kind of asked this question to a lot of fans, is you know you can maybe have two in, in January. It's got to be a central midfielder and it's got to be a centre-back. There are a number of other issues. There's a depth issue, there's arguably a wing issue, one at left full-back too. I'm not sure if you'll be able to address all of them in, in one window. I mean, I want to say maybe two years ago. I could be wrong on the specific January. But Mike Ashley has done this before. He went and bought Debushi, Yangambia, Gufran um, and Sissoko all in that one window um, to try and essentially galvanise the squad and just give it a boost. And it did the job eventually. They, they did stay up. I, I just don't like taking that risk if, if I'm in their position. I think, again, it's this weird kind of relationship that Mike Ashley has with football in, in the sense that he, he almost views it like a car with petrol. He'd rather take the risk of getting right down to the red line than making sure he's got enough in the tank. So I would look for a centre-back. Who that is, personally, I'm, I'm really not sure. I think they need someone who's a big physical presence. And the one that jumps out only just moved to his new club, Trabs on Sport, in the summer, and that's Douglas, who's the, mm. the Brazilian Dutch centre-back. They do just need someone who's really physical though, and aggressive and dominant. Yeah. Because for me, Chancellor Mbemba isn't that. I think he's a, a bit more cultured than that. And that's where they've kind of made the mistake with both him and Yanga and Beer, is they thought they were going to be both physical. Why they thought that, I'm not entirely sure. Perhaps you know, it could be because they're African defenders. They just assumed that they would have that quality with them. But that's not who they are. And it then breeds into the central midfield because the central midfield give the defence no cover whatsoever. And that's because you've got two almost identical players in, in Vernon Nieter and Jack Colback who want to pass the ball sideways or backwards and can put a little bit of a defensive shift in, but not enough to dictate a game or change the, the pace of it. Do you think they can 
by their way out of trouble though in January. Do you think the situation is almost too far gone? Because you look at the amount of money they spent in the summer and there's players like Mitrovic, there's players like Talvin. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. But uh, he, they can't even make it into this team, which is you know, unquestionably terrible. I think it's misleading to say that Mitrovic can't. He, he was rested at the weekend just to give, I think, a little bit of change. Other than that, he's largely played when available and, and not suspended and done quite well, in fact. Torvan, yeah, he hasn't got in. I think they're just giving him a much longer introduction to the team. I, I don't think it's a case of he's not very good because, again, they've scouted him for practically two years now. In answering your question, though, I think it's a difficult one to answer because you're assuming they would spend what is required. You're, you're dealing with someone that essentially loves to haggle and they, they've drawn the metaphor of it's like poker or it's like a casino. We've got so many purple chips that they view as the elite first team regulars and they do kind of view it in that casino gambling um, setup. And So to say, can they spend their way out of trouble... That implies that they're willing to spend as much as actually needed. I don't think they are. Mm. I think at most, at a push, I'd be surprised if they spend over 10, 15 million, when really? arguably they need closer to 20, really, to, to get what's needed just to tide them over then. And then you get into the summer, and this is where I feel like Mike Ashley's tried to be too clever, is that eventually, partly because of the TV money, you have to spend money. You can't just keep bridging the squad over it and you know, operating with like 15, 16 players, you actually need a squad of closer to 20, I would argue, with then maybe the last five of the depth chart, young guys that can come in and do a job, like Kevin and Barbu, for example, for a couple games if you need them, but they're not relied upon in that sense. And essentially they're allowed to grow at a normal rate for a youngster. They but don't does, have does that. that. Does that highlight maybe the, the problems of the club at the moment, then, Chris, is that actually they don't, they don't have that time and they are essentially papering over the cracks with their spending instead of, try, or at least they think they're papering over cracks with their spending, instead of trying to build something that seems a bit more sustainable. Exactly, yeah. They're, they're, they're living till tomorrow. And, and this was the funny thing was when a lot of people said, oh, Mike Ashley's clearly got some intent. He's going to spend $50 million in the summer. $50 million now isn't what $50 million was back then. I remember Graham Sooners famously spending $50 million. And and that was a genuine kind of statement of intent and something significant. Now, for a team that the year they finished fifth only bought Vernon and Eater, which is essentially one player, and I think that was the same year they got like Remy on loan, that means that you have to almost contextualise it with the three years that went before. So because they spent nothing in, say, one, two, and and year three, it means they've actually really, to be on course to, to maintain or improve, have to spend vast amount in the fourth year. And it, it essentially spreads the cost along. So 50 million over four years is a lot less than 50 million over one year, which is essentially what they're doing. You, talk, you mentioned Mike Ashley there, uh, Kristen. We, we're talking about the players, obviously, and we're, t- we're talking about the manager earlier. Obviously, these are, these are problems. I mean, Colaccini mm. looks like he's forgotten how to play football. But as you're alluding to, Mike Ashley is the main problem. Do you think... Newcastle were ever going to get themselves out of this situation as long as he's here because I mean I spoke to you the other day and we were talking about how Newcastle were relegated seven years ago and yet mm. they've no, learned no lessons from going down I think it's going to be really difficult to get out of this situation and, and the problem is 
they had a, a very good relationship to start with, Newcastle fans and Mike Ashley. It was, you know, very different in the sense that he drank in the stands. I think there was a genuine fan at the helm, not of Newcastle, but of football. And the truth of the matter is, if he had done his due diligence on the, the finances and the accounts, he wouldn't have bought Newcastle because it was hugely in debt at the time. There was a point where they didn't agree with his decisions, some of which I think were done with kind of knowledge of what was going to happen. Others were just mistakes and the relationship massively deteriorated. Now, one thing I've always said is I felt the tipping point for that was when they called him a fat Cockney rapist. Now, personally, I've always said that I'm not surprised that he acts the way he does. Yeah. Because if if someone, I mean, I get being annoyed. I get it's your football club. I appreciate all of those things. But the second you do something like that and you do it in a public domain where family and friend, it just changes things. Everything becomes a lot more malicious. It's one thing to say that he's a bad owner. It's a different thing to throw really horrible insults at someone like that. Um, and I think for me, I felt personally when that happened, right, that's probably the death knell between the relationship between the two. I don't think he's going to try and do anything that he doesn't have to do for this football club now. Mm. And I feel like that's been reflected in the, the the future that kind of transposed itself onto Newcastle. It's a shame because we're talking about a club that does have a massive fan base, a club that used to have... You know, and a very accurately counting club very often. Yes, in many ways. Um, but also they had some of the best players in the Premier League. I remember when I was growing up, you know, obviously Alan Shearer, but David Ginola so back in the day. time ago now. Yeah, exactly. But this is a club 20 years ago who were competing towards the top of the table. It was one of the clubs, you know, who played football. You aspired your own club to play like. So it's gone so badly wrong, Kristen. I just... What's the... can, can, I, can I ask? Can I ask this? I mean, you, you're alluding to that there, Adam. How much of it do you think, Kristen, is the dynamic of where Newcastle are geographically? You mean the potential and the success? The potential and the success of, of uh, the, yeah, the potential, and then what's actually happening right now, and, and how they find themselves behind at this point in, in inverted commas behind everyone else. The potential is slightly dictated by its geography, in the sense that it is a one. City Club. I also think that it's far too easy to say they only get attendances because they're a, a one club city. But, but would it, that's well, the well, case. Well, the swings and the roundabouts of being in the northeast. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Newcastle suffers from the same problem that Sunderland does when Roy Keane used to talk about, I can't get place to come here because there's no shops. That kind of idea that it's shut off. It's it's actually very well connected, and if you look at it from a slightly different angle, it, it's infrastructure, it's airport links. <laughs> if you look at it from a different angle, it looks a bit closer to London, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that was funny enough. That was one thing Kevin Keegan convinced Rob Lee that Newcastle was closer to London than Middlesbrough when it's not. Um, this was obviously long before the days of internet. <laughs> but yeah, and Rob Lee having a mind and maps. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, you can talk about the, the fan numbers. I think the potential both clubs never mind just Newcastle is definitely there and I think it's the the negligence towards that potential or uh, the neglect excuse me towards that potential that's what's the most disappointing thing because we've also seen it almost realized within our generation and I think yes it's difficult in the sense that this football club does run through the very heart of the city it's the first thing you see when you come in on the train all those kind of things I also think it gets an unfair rap in the sense that, you know, you talk about the Jermaine Jenner's comments of years back about being a fishbowl. I could easily throw it back and say, well, you just were weak. 
you weren't strong enough to handle it. You you wanted to be an elite player, but you couldn't. You know, you wanted everything that came with the city in terms of the great wages, all that kind of stuff. But you didn't want to put the hard work in, and, and that's been the problem. Is that you know I talk about Arsene Wenger having too much loyalty to the players he's got now. For a long time, Newcastle did the same thing. They bought the wrong kinds of people and showed them far too much loyalty and far too much um, belief. And that's kind of got them into the point that they're at now because you can even trace it much further back than Mike Ash. You can go to Freddie Shepard and spending the, the sponsorship money from years ahead when he shouldn't have it. It was a really poorly run football club. Mm. And I, I try to always give a balanced evaluation because I think it's far too easy to just say Mike Ashley is bad, period. He's done some shrewd things on the business side of Newcastle in terms of cutting wastage to the point that it doesn't exist. He's also cut too far, I would argue. He's almost gone above the knee when he didn't need to. And that, in, in many respects, is part of the problem with the football club, that that mentality extends to the, the playing field, whereby he always thinks he can get the same kind of player for free. Mm. I guess it's a kind of very crude money ball that's that's not really trying to achieve anything. It's just doing it for sustenance. It's not doing it to actually grow and develop. Do you think Newcastle are going to get relegated this season? Chris? Everything, everything in my heart says I really hope not. That's the answer I give now is I really hope not because I saw someone the other day, I forget who it was, so apologies, said, oh, it, it would be great for Newcastle to get relegated because they'll let them clear the decks and do it. That implies that the people at the top are, are trying to grow something and have a genuine vision and plan. They simply don't. And I don't mean that in a critical way. I just mean that's what their view is, is that it's all about stay in the league, collect the money, stay in the, you know, the monopoly idea of Pasco, collect 200. At least they're doing what they love. Well, the, the problem is, is that, again, you, you're just going to put yourself further back. And, and I hate that idea of, or drop into the championship and, and it'll be fine because it's actually quite patronising towards the championship. That's yeah. a really hard league to get out of, especially now because I think with the parachute payments, the teams that don't go up straight away, they become stronger and overall the competition just becomes better across the board. So honestly, I, I would if if I think if you offered me seventeenth now, I'd, I'd take it with a yeah. Seventeenth keeps you up, doesn't it? Yeah, seventeenth now. <laughs> yeah, just about. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, seventeenth. It's yeah, eighteen. You want to get relegated? Okay. Um, thinking, though, the you? last yeah. relegation spot, I'd take. I'd take it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think if you offered me seventeenth now and and that kind of stuff, it would be great because it's hmm. you know, in, in some ways, it's it's kind of sad that last season ended on a an almost brilliant high with that West Ham game but it had nothing to do with Mike Ashley of the club it was all to do with what Jonas Gutierrez represented and in some ways there was a bittersweet moment nestled within that because we knew someone who genuinely loved the football club and genuinely loved the area was leaving and and that in many ways was almost symbolic of, of what was happening to the football club across the board the, the, the people who came kind of knew just, why he was leaving the, yeah, the he reason was, he was leaving yeah, no, exactly. He was, he was leaving because, again, the football club didn't have a heart in its decision makers. Um, the fans obviously have a heart. A lot of the people that work there have that heart. The problem is is that the person who signs the checks just doesn't. And like I say, whether it was because of that slur that was thrown against him, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't mitigate it. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised. Lawrence, what do you think? Do you think Newcastle uh, are going to get relegated this season? Or can they avoid such a fate? I think 18th is a lovely position to finish. Um, yeah. I, I think they, ca- I think they, they can avoid it. I think mainly 
because the other the strength of the other teams in the league maybe will let those teams down. Uh, my biggest question is over uh, whether McLaren can weather another storm uh, from the English media because you know a lot of managers when they get damned it's just it's very hard to work your way out of that and I think you do lose elements of what you can do to motivate the mm. players because you know it's very often it's very easy and not very easy but it makes it easier to motivate the players when you know that they're behind you but you know that that's part of the problem isn't it is that actually diff- none of the positions on the pitch look particularly well organized like Kristen what would you say has changed that you can say the fingerprints of um McLaren are on that to the extent where another manager couldn't have had a similar or more positive uh, impact on the club. I mean, it, it's a, to be truthful, it's impossible to to point to anything. I mean, the, there's talk of the, there would be more discipline and banning swearing and things like that. I don't think that's had a huge Good amount one. because that would get respect. Well, that's the thing. When they go down, they they look beaten already. They they kind of look devoid of anything. And even the the idea of well, now they play more possession. I think that's more indicative of what Alan Pardew was like than, than what Steve McLaren was like. And I mean, in many ways, that feeds into something that that did quite perturb me this week was that I saw a fairly prominent Everton fan say that Newcastle fans are delusional, and and it's something I take that's fairly strong work, objection with because I think you know what. They're not in the slightest. They they've been so loyal to that football club, so consistently loyal to that football club, and they don't demand anything that I think any fan wants, mm. including an Everton fan, for example, because they're not demanding for money to be spent that isn't there. They know the money's there. They've seen it come in for players and things like that. And and essentially, all they're demanding is sporting integrity. And I think whether you support Everton or you support Stocksbridge Park Steels, that's all you ever demand is that your club tries it because that's the point of sport. It's competition. And when you know that your club is actively self-sabotaging or actively inhibiting its own ambition, how on earth could you get behind that? And, and mm. you know, you even see people say, oh, well, you shouldn't go to the stadium. It's your passion. That's not how it, it doesn't work like that. You can't just turn it off. And equally, I know just as many people that have stopped going that are still going. And, and what that essentially says is, that actually there are people who are willing to still fill those seats. Maybe they're not the day trippers that go to Old Trafford. It's still fans that want to come in and invest because it, it's like it's like when you tell someone to ostracise a member of their family because yeah, exactly. you know they're disruptive. That's not how it works. This mm. this wasn't a relationship that was forged over four weekends and, and three Super Sundays. It's something that's bled into you from when you're a kid, when you're given your first shirt, when you go and play in the park it's it's so much deeper rooted than that and I, I find it baffling and, and also quite frustrating that essentially the people who were in the same position as us as fans turn and lament those same fans who go through the same struggles when actually it's not their fault at all it's yeah, it's they really should, they not should be standing together part. essentially I th- that's what i find frustrating more recently is uh, clubbing together of um of, and i don't mean in a good way of sets of fans as if they all believe the same thing and because the people who go to the stadium believe the same stuff as the people who don't go into the stadium and that you know someone on twitter who tweets from a thousand miles away believes the same as those people inside the stadium do and that it just has no appreciation for any sort of diversity within the club or any sort of ambition or any or just anything that you, basically it's removal of nuance and it doesn't yeah, make any sense if, if you want to use everton as an example you want yeah. bill kenwright to spend more don't go then 
don't go and you know if, but, if you but, think he's not spending enough, don't go and support them. I, no, I, I agree. I think that's the problem. It, yeah, exactly. The irony is, is that actually you have to support the club to get him to spend more. The problem Newcastle have got is doesn't matter whether they go or not. Really, it's not going to inhibit or improve the spending. If anything, if they don't go, it's likely to further lessen the spending. So if any. If you can say anything about them, it's actually they're going to try and just keep the embers alive. They're not going because it's this idiotic, like zombie-like state where they have to go. That's part of it, undeniably. But also, I think some of them think, you know what? If we don't go, it's going to get even worse. Hmm. Dave, what are your thoughts on Newcastle in this season? Because we're sort of talking about their struggles, but the teams around them are starting to pick up points now. You look at Bournemouth; you've got the, the point at the weekend against Everton. Obviously, uh, Sunderland picking up six points in two weeks. Sam Allardyce having an impact there. Do you think that bodes? Do you think that is a, a poor omen for Newcastle this season? Well, I think I think Sunderland, like I said a few weeks ago um, about Sam Allardyce, we did a bit of a feature on it that they're staying up full stop. They just look so sound defensively now. They're playing five at the back. They're not going to concede any goals. Three defensive midfielders and two strikers. They are going to be absolutely fine. I think the wet that Bournemouth, they're going to be down. They just. They don't have that cutting edge. They're not good defensively. They're conceding too many goals. They're not scoring enough. They're classic. And then I think Newcastle and Villa do look doomed as well. I think the only player that I think Newcastle could get in January that would be available that could help them out and if they do switch to a back three could be Ron Vlaar. If they go to sort of a back three, two wing-backs, you know, Yamat played wing-back for Holland in the, the World Cup, looked very good there. If they have uh, Ron Vlaar in the middle, maybe Chase and Bemba to his left and maybe, I don't know, someone else to his, his, his right. They could have something there, but it's just... All the early indication in terms of goals conceded is pointing at those three clubs, and I do think that those three are going to go down. What one thing as well I would touch on is um, I've noticed slightly recently watching it quite close is that there's been some I would say fairly decent instances where Newcastle haven't really got decisions either. They've played poorly. I don't contest that at all. I think you can partition that and say you look at the Leicester game. Robert Huth puts his hands around the throat of Alexander Mitrovic. The referee sees it and does nothing of it, and then Huth is booked about thirty. 30 seconds to a couple of minutes later for bringing someone down. They haven't had a penalty since Boxing Day 2013. They haven't played against 10 men since January 2014. I find it really hard to believe that there hasn't been at least a few warranted cases where Newcastle should have played against 10 men. And just that little thing, they all contribute to a a much bigger rolling ball of, of stone. And I'd be curious to see... How many instances, maybe if you went back, you could say, well, actually, that was a penalty or that was a red card or that was a decision they didn't get. And if you look at Sunderland for a direct comparison, I would argue the Ryan Shawcross sending off wasn't really a sending off. The goal against Palace was fairly fortunate. The the red card for Colaccini that almost starts the run altogether, that's Mm. fairly fortunate. And I know Allardyce talks about those things even themselves out. Mm. I'm pretty sure statistics have proved across the years they don't at all. In fair, well, I think I think you've got to, you've got to make your own look though. I think that's the thing. You know, they they got into those situations. It was a brilliant performance defensively against Crystal Palace. That you know they did they, they they snuck that goal in. You know they did. It was what um, the keeper Hennessy Wayne Hennessy came out and Jermaine Defoe just um, pocketed the ball off Scott Dan went round him. But they played really well that game. They deserved mm. to have a point at least. At the very least, and at the moment, you can't say that about Newcastle in terms of defensive work rate. It looked like an absolute shambles. A number of the goals at the weekend, they were. It was like the players were were just too angsty around the box. They were throwing themselves, diving in when they should just be standing up, relax. You know, get your defensive shape, 
and focus on it that way. For me, it just seems like uh, it's it's all over for Newcastle. If they don't get, I feel all the only over. way that they can survive is is by getting Brendan? one of these managers, either Brendan Rodgers or getting one of these managers that just can survive in the Premier League, like Sam Allardyce, who they've had Let's before. Let's see if they can. We've got to wrap it up there, guys. Uh, hopefully, I hope Newcastle's there because it would, it would be a shame to see them go down. But anyway, Kristen, thanks very much for coming on. If uh, the good people want to find more of your work, where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. And Dave, if uh, if the whole aren't following you yet, which they should be, where can they find well, you? Got to, firstly, they've got to ask themselves a question. Do they yeah. not like stats? Possibly, Maybe they yeah. don't. If they do <laughs> like stats, and they don't, and they, yeah, if they don't, don't like, if they do like stats, and don't <laughs> God, that was difficult, wasn't it? Yeah. Go on, Dave. Yourself, do you, Dave? Um, oh, that's it. Don't just unfollow me. <laughs> do you like stats? <laughs> Out of the back of the room. No. Okay. Well. <laughs> Next. Walk off, warm. S Q U A W K A. Dave, isn't it? Yes, that is it. And L O Z C A S T for for Lawrence. And uh, A-D-A-M-B-O-U-L-T-W-O-O-D. Yes, very well done. A lot of people forget the U. Don't forget that. It's very important. Here it is. One more time. <laughs> if you want to see Catchy all jingle. of us, you can see all of us on the Football Republic if you want to see our faces. Can't you guys? Which is F-O-O-T. <laughs> no, don't spell that. Football Republic, go and find it. We're going to be back on Saturday for the Q&A podcast. And we're going podcast. to Mississippi next week. We're going to be back on Saturday for the Q&A podcast. Kristen is still going to be joining us then. So we'll see you on Saturday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.